Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Hello Shiloh, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Hopefully you are watching this while you're having brekkie in bed um, uh, or you're watching it later on after having a fantastic day out. Big shout out also to um, father figures like grandfathers, uncles, youth leaders, mums that are doing double duty. Um, I think it's incredible and we know that obviously dads are very special, but dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and titles. Like I said, there are so many different people, um, uncles and uh, bosses at work that are like father figures in our life. And so we honor you and we celebrate you too. Um, I actually want to look at a part of the Bible that actually is a bit like that because it's about somebody who's not a biological father to another person, but Uh, He takes him under his wing as kind of like a father figure. And um, he deals with a situation kind of like I think a perfect dad should. And so if you've not had a perfect dad before, maybe your upbringing was a little bit crazy or there's a lot of tension around this day for you. I think that this is pretty cool because this is an opportunity to see um, what a dad could do or what a dad should do so that we can apply it to our lives. And if you've had a perfect father, you might hear this and go, yeah, I get this guy's a lot like my dad. Um, So if you've got a Bible, um, I want you to turn with me to the book of Philemon. Philemon. Are we going to read that? We're going to read the whole book. Don't tune out. It's only got a a few verses. It's one of those really short ones, but people will think you're so spiritual because on Father's Day, you read a whole book of the Bible. While you turn to the book of Philemon, it's in the New Testament. It's right towards the end of the Bible. So flip towards the end. If you've got a physical Bible, you've got a digital Bible, scroll towards the end. Um, if If you're watching this, and that's kind of normally how you read your Bible on your phone or your tablet, don't stress. I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. But while you're turning there, let me just give you the backdrop for this verse. So at that point in time, in the first century of that part of the world, basically anyone that had even a little bit of money owned a slave. It was pretty sort of stock standard, right? Normal part of society. Um, and so um, there was this ordinary guy, everyday guy, was not like a super Christian, was not somebody that was preaching and teaching and sermons are recorded in the Bible or anything like that, just an ordinary guy, right? He'd done pretty well for himself and he'd bought a slave. And um, at some point along the process, he owns his slave, he lives in this nice house, etc. He becomes a Christian. He gets converted. He finds Jesus just like you and I found Jesus, right? And so um, he's got this slave in his care, a slave by the name of Onesimus, right? Onesimus, right? Now, th- there's a problem. Stuff starts going missing around the house. And people are kind of pointing fingers at each other going, who's stealing all of this stuff? And now in that day and age, typically when stuff like that went missing, some of the first people that they would point the fingers at would be the slaves. And they would often get beaten. Sometimes they would get um, killed just even on the assumption that maybe possibly they might have been involved in the theft somehow. There was no um, legal recourse or punishment in that regard, right? So Anaisimus freaks out when stuff starts going missing because he thinks, man, the master's going to come after me. He's going to get me for sure. And so to avoid um, getting in the neck, he sort of packs up his stuff and he runs away, which is big no-no. He comes to another part of the world where he, um, uh, he sort of settles down. He meets a guy called Paul who wrote a lot of the New Testament. And Paul leads him to Jesus. He becomes a Christian. And Paul kind of almost adopts him as like a, like a spiritual son or whatever. He becomes a father figure in his world. And he starts speaking into his life. Like dads, he has a tough conversation at some point where basically he's like, I think you need to go back home, son. And he um, helps this guy, this slave, Onesimus, resolve the issue the way a father could. Now, picture this. 
Picture this, you're a rich owner, you're sitting in the backyard on a banana lounge, you're sipping a non-alcoholic pina colada, it's the beautiful um, springtime sun that's rays are shining on your glorious skin, everything is going well in life, and you hear a knock at the door. And so you get up and you go to the front door to see who is knocking at your door. You open the door and there is Anasimus. And this flood of emotions hits you. You think to yourself, oh my gosh, he's come back. This is great. And then you think, hang on a minute. Wasn't this the guy that we thought stole a whole bunch of stuff? And then you're like, but maybe if he's come back, maybe he didn't steal all of that stuff. Because I mean, if he's come back and he stole all the stuff, like he knows he's going to get killed. So maybe this is a really good thing. And then you're like, hang on a minute. What evidence is there that he didn't? And all this stuff just goes through your head. And you're, you're wondering what you're going to say to this guy. Your eyes are locked with him. And before anything happens, Anasimus hands you a letter. And he says, just read this. And the letter is from Paul. Now that letter, that exact letter is actually recorded in scripture. That letter is the book of Philemon. It is incredible. So I'm going to read it to you now, right? This is what Philemon says. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker and our sister, Apophia, and to our fellow soldier, Acrius, and to the church that meets in your house. May the God of our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have found in Christ. Your love has given me so much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has refreshed the hearts of God's people. And this is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you, consider this a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much of use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. And I'm sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you've lost Anasimus for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer a slave to you. He is more than a slave for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now, it will mean so much more to you as both a man and as a brother in the Lord. So consider me your partner. Well, uh, welcome. Consider me your partner. Sorry. Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he was, if he's wronged you in any way or he owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, and I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother. Please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident as I write this letter to you that you will do as I ask, and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return home soon. Uh, Ephelia, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So does Mark, uh, Ascrakius, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. All right, that's the letter. So this is literally what happens. You've got, you've got Philemon at the door. 
He's just read this letter. He finishes reading the letter and he looks up and there's Anasimus, his slave who's run away. They were under the suspicion that maybe he'd stolen a whole bunch of stuff. And Paul has basically just demanded forgiveness. He said, if you're worried about money or whatever else, I'll cover it up. There's there's this whole thing happening, right? It's really interesting that um, this is a letter that was preached especially a lot in the First Testament, um, uh, First and New Testament sort of world, you know, all of those early churches. And, and part of the reason for that uh, might surprise you. It's not that Paul was in any way advocating for slavery, not at all. In fact, he talks about, um, you know, he's not really a slave, he's a brother, all this other stuff. The reason that this letter gained so much traction and the reason that we should look at it today, especially on a day like Father's Day, is it tackles something that is as old as time, something that has been around as long as we've had families, as long as we've had families in the traditional sense, like mum, dad, sister, brother, but also in the sense that, you know, church families, um, sporting clubs, you know, where it's kind of like a family or a brotherhood or a sisterhood, workmates, all that kind of stuff. And that is the art of conflict resolution because conflict has been around as long as we've had people. And the better that you are at dealing with conflict, the more peaceful your family is, the better the business will be, the better your sporting club will be. And so this letter is almost a textbook in how to resolve a conflict because we have a conflict here between two people, Anasimus and Philemon. We have a conflict that's built around some suspicion. There's probably two different sides to the story. Maybe Anasimus would say, well, I didn't do anything. Philemon would say, well, what do you expect? Andy ran away. He's done the wrong thing, etc., etc." And so Paul basically lays out very, very calmly in this letter how to resolve conflict. So maybe you're dealing with some conflict this Father's Day, or maybe your life is peachy right now, but you want to put this stuff into your head, into your spirit. So the next time you have to deal with conflict, even if it's helping somebody else, you know how to deal with that, right? So if you've ever had a beef with someone, if you've ever had an argument that kind of hung in the air, this is how to deal with it. Number one, step one, right? Type number one into the comment section, into the chat. If you're vacuuming or driving or whatever, and you're listening to this, why don't you say number one out loud? Number one, remove people from the problem. Remove people from the problem. This could not be any more relevant than in our culture today, where we're obsessed with identity politics. We're always labeling people a certain way. We're putting people in certain categories, all of that. That's kind of how our culture works. That's the exact opposite of what you need to do, though, if you are going to resolve conflict. So Paul basically takes people out of the equation, right? Um, I love how Paul spends the first chunk of the letter. He spends the first chunk of the letter actually building up and encouraging Philemon, right? He says things like, uh, may uh, God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. I always thank God about you when I pray for you uh, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord and your love for God's people. He talks about that, um, you know, the generosity that this guy has. He talks about how much joy and comfort he's giving. He actually does the exact opposite of singling him out at the person. He actually builds him up and encourages him and pumps him up, right? And a lot of people actually skip this step when they try to resolve conflict and resolve problems, right? And it lands them in hot water. See, what Paul identified is that Philemon was actually not the problem. Him as a person was not the problem. His lack of kindness and his lack of a Christ-like attitude in this situation, that was the actual problem. The behavior was the issue, not the person was the issue. The sin was the issue, not the sinner was the issue, right? And, you know, he didn't say to him, listen, mate, it's Paul here. I just want to call you out because you're a Muppet. You're not much of a Christian. You're a pretty bad example. No wonder this guy had to run away from you. Now, don't beat him when he comes back because I know you're thinking that because you're not much of a person. He didn't say that at all. He did the exact opposite. He pumped him up and he challenged his behavior 
after the guy understood that Paul was not out to get him, after the guy understood that Paul was not trying to embarrass him or shame him in any way, right? That's actually how Paul dealt with the problem, right? And this is often where relationships break down because we blame the person. We say, well, I can't forgive my father because of what he did. Well, I can't let go of what my coworker did. You know, she's, she's so mean. She's so nasty. Well, you know, I don't understand how you think that me and my teammates are ever going to be able to get along. Those guys are mongrels. And we label people and we blame people and we put people in categories and boxes and all the rest of that, right? But I love what, um, I love what Paul does, right? He removes all the emotion. He removes the people from the problem. It's kind of like, you know, he, he basically asks WWJS, what would Jesus see? So what does Jesus see when he looks at this person? Well, Jesus sees a guy who's a Christian. Jesus sees a guy who's generous and full of joy, and he hosts a church in his home. Jesus sees a great guy who's got a problem in this area of a life. And so Jesus would address the problem, not smack down on the person, right? And the same thing we've actually got to do right here. So worldly wisdom says um, uh, that, you know, we understand that people aren't perfect and we put them into categories. Godly wisdom says that we love people, we remove them from the equation. And we actually say, if, if this guy was the best guy in the world, then what would the problem actually be, right? Um, and you've got to think about this. Where would you be if God just wrote you off as a person? I don't know about you. I don't know what you're like this Father's Day, but Father's Day is an interesting day for me as a dad because I think of, yeah, all the awesome, great memories and stuff as a father, but I also think about the areas that maybe I don't measure up, where maybe I don't feel like I'm the best dad. Maybe I don't deserve my number one dad, Mark, or whatever else, because I'm not perfect in this area. I'm not perfect in that area. But imagine if Jesus said to me, well, listen, Phil, uh, there's going to be no grace and peace coming to your home because you're an imperfect dad. Bang, 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 bang. God doesn't do that at all to me. God says, I love you, Phil. You're awesome. Hey, we're going to change the world together, but I do want to address this behavior. I do want to address this thinking pattern. I do want to address the way you handle this, right? That is what we need to do when we deal with conflicts, right? Um, you know, and I know that people are going to say, yeah, 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 but Phil, when, when people hurt us, they need to say sorry. They need to, they need to, they need to be right here. And, and, and let's be real here. That would be great. If everybody said sorry for every bad thing that they ever did, it would resolve a whole bunch of emotion in our heart and it would tie things up in neat little bows. But we don't always get the apology we deserve. We don't always get the apology we want, even when we do get an apology, often if it's a half-hearted apology or whatever else, right? But you can't hang the resolution of the conflict on whether or not you're going to get an apology. Paul does not say in his letter, hey, listen, mate, and right at the very end, I just want to make this really clear, you owe me an apology and you know this guy an apology. He just desires the resolution of the conflict first, right? So you've got to remove people from the problem. Problem, right? Um, I love the way Romans 5 8 says it says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, God wanted to address the sin problem without wiping people off the floor. And sometimes we can be so harsh and so critical and wipe people out without you dealing with the sin issue, right? Number two, everyone say number two. If you're doing something and you can't write it down, if you're taking notes, type number two into the chat, into the comment section, into your notepad. Number two, Identify the actual problem. Identify the actual problem, right? Because the actual issue here was bigger than just Onesimus running away or potentially stealing, right? It was that he was a slave and because he was a slave, there was an expectation that he didn't deserve kindness, that he didn't deserve grace, that he didn't deserve mercy, that he didn't deserve a second chance. That was the expectation. And Paul is challenging that because he's like, now hang on a minute, that's the actual problem. 
right? Philemon is not the problem. Onesimus is actually not the problem. It's a lack of grace. It's a lack of forgiveness. It's a lack of decency that we're assigning to a fellow human being. We need to elevate the viewpoint about this guy. And so he addresses the actual problem. He identifies the actual problem, right? So Paul could have written a letter saying that he had a convo with Onesimus and that he knew he'd stolen and he needed forgiveness, but that would have still left this poor guy in chains. He could have written a letter saying, Onesimus was sorry for running away. He's repentant. Can you please forgive him for that? But that still would have left him in chains. Paul could have written a letter covering both of these things together and said, hey, he's run away because he stole. But hey, you know, here's a whole bunch of money to forgive the debt and whatever else. And hey, you've got you to forgive this guy. But that still would have left him in chains. The issue was Onesimus, who's a brother in Christ, was a slave and he needed kindness. He needed forgiveness and he needed to be elevated from slavery. He needed to be treated like a fellow human being, right? He needed to be welcomed back like a fellow human being. So kindness was actually the core issue. It was at the heart of the problem, right? And so what often happens is when we have arguments, we fight over all of these different things, but we're actually not fighting about the actual issue. We're not even discussing the actual issue, right? It's like when we first got married, Krista and I, our first year of marriage, one of the fights that we had when we were tense, it was tense about money and all these other things, but we didn't fight about the money. We didn't fight about what's happening with, with, uh, with you know, extended family gatherings that were clashing and other dates and the rest of that. The thing we started to have fights about was where the tomato sauce goes. Now... I don't know about you. There's a bit, it was a bit of debate. It's been resolved. We've been married um, almost 13 years now. But does tomato sauce belong on the bench or does it belong in the fridge? Now, maybe feel free to type into the comment section where you think it belongs. Feel free to yell it out at the TV. Maybe you might even start your own argument. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, we're talking about conflict resolution. But you know what I mean? Where does a tomato sauce go? There's a bit of debate. I personally think it belongs in the fridge. But, you know, there's enough preservatives in there probably to nuke a small mountain. So the argument is it doesn't need to be in the fridge. And it's true when I go camping, I wouldn't put it in the fridge. But still, I think it tastes better in the fridge and I have concerns about it. So we debated about all this sort of stuff. And, you know, it's like, well, you've got to understand when you put it on the bench, you know, it goes off and it costs money. And we're going to know where's that money going to come from and all the rest of that, right? Until finally we had to realize, hang on a minute, the actual issue here was our schedule was crammed and our finances were tight. And those were the issues we needed to discuss. And we got into these heated conversations about tomato sauce when tomato sauce wasn't actually the issue, right? Um, you know, one of the ways that I think it's helpful to identify the issues is, and I'm happy to say it because Father's Day I can get away with this, I'm going to talk about my love for Toyota Land Cruisers, right? And uh, all the Nissan fans, I'm sorry, I've got to break your heart. We're going to talk about Toyota, right? I love Toyota. I love Land Cruisers. I love Hiluxes. Um, I don't even mind that Land Cruisers baby brother, the Prado. I've had a Prado before. They're great cars. Right, and um, um, the founder of Toyota had a theory called the five whys theory. So when he was trying to identify the actual issue, he would ask why five times and just kind of keep following it down the rabbit hole. And the fifth answer was what he would assume was the truth or at least close to the truth, right? And um, I remember hearing that for the first time and I started doing that in business. I, I, I started doing that in um, church leadership. I started doing that even in my own home. And it's interesting when you ask why five times, when you actually peel back the layers, how you often identify the actual issue, right? I remember um, I was doing some uh, pastoral counseling with a couple and there was a bit of tension. And so I said to them, why don't you guys, why don't you guys, let's practice it right now. Let's, let's pick a topic. You guys have been fighting about your in-laws. Why, do, why don't we talk about that? And they're like, no, 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 no. We don't fight about our in-laws. It's just, you know, you know things, things haven't you know, ironed themselves out. I'm like, well, let's just try it. See what happens, right? And... Um, <laughs> 
I'll change people's names, right? We'll just call them Fred and Susie because I don't want to embarrass anyone, right? So um, Susie sort of says, well, I can see you're not too keen on having my folks over, right? This Saturday night. Do you mind if I ask why? And uh, Fred replies, uh, you know, oh, yeah, really? Again, you're going to bring this up? I'm like, I'm cool with it. Like, you know, they're trying to be polite from a pastor. He's like, but um, didn't they come over like last month? They're coming over again? And she, so that's number one. And then she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, uh, you know, I can tell them that they're coming over this week, but I don't want to sort of cause any issues. And I can see that this is a real problem for you. So is there any particular reason why you're not so keen to have them over? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. They're nice and all that. And they're your parents. And it's just when they really come over, like, it's, it's cool. I'm happy to have them. I love your mum and dad, but it kind of just wears me out, right? Um, and so three, she says, well, is there any particular reason why it wears you out having them over so much? And he's like, oh, you know what your dad's like. He can just be kind of intense. You know what I mean? Like, it can just be a bit intense. And so four, she says, oh, I guess I was just so busy talking to mum that I don't really hang out with uh, you and dad, like particularly sometimes when you guys go in the shed or you're walking around the backyard. Um, wh- like, why is he so intense? And um, he goes, oh, he can just be a bit nitpicky. You know what I mean? And so five, she says, oh, really? Um, I, I hadn't noticed that, but that's a good point. That's not what you would want. Um, do you know why he's so nitpicky? And the guy replies back and he goes, oh, I don't know. He just seems to wander around just pointing out stuff, you know. This isn't positioned well. I don't know why you do that. That desk is pretty cheap. Manual car needs upgrading. You know, I don't know. I reckon he just doesn't like me very much, you know. I don't know that he ever has. See, when it got to the fifth why, the real issue comes out. The guy didn't have a problem having the folks over because he was anti her parents. She just didn't want to feel like he was judged for like five hours when they were over. He didn't want to feel like... He was just being rejected and embarrassed and humiliated in his own home. And so once they got to that issue, then we could have a proper conversation about the actual problem and resolve it without having to have stupid arguments about, your family always comes over. They're over every other week. It's so annoying. And see, they were having these fights about an issue, but it actually wasn't the real issue. See, in this sort of little um, situation, they removed people from the problem. She didn't say, well, you hate my family and you need to know you married me. You married my family as well. It's disrespectful to my father. He didn't call her a muppet. There was no name calling. They removed people from the problem. And then by asking why five times, they identified the actual problem. If you're at work and you've got a conflict, if you've got a conflict in your marriage, you've got a conflict with your kids, learn to ask why five times and just listen. Don't, don't jump in. She didn't jump in at any point. She was, she was amazing in that convo, honestly. She didn't jump in and say, whoa, 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 hold it there, Chachi. She was just... Okay, yep, interesting. Tell me more about that. Interesting. And just ask and listen, and you'll be amazed that you identify what the actual issue is, right? Um, Identify what the issue is and deal with it. So Paul identifies that the issue here is not Philemon being a mongrel. It's not that he's not a good Christian. It's that he lacks the kindness to elevate this guy who was a slave and to have him treated like a fellow human being. And Paul addresses that actual problem, right? We need to do the same. Step three, everyone say number three, step three. Put it down in your notes. Address the problem in a way that tries to find a mutually beneficial solution. Let me say that again. Address the problem in a way that tries to find a mutually beneficial solution. I love the way Paul does this in a letter, right? First, he doesn't ignore the issue. 
He's like a good father figure, right? He doesn't just sweep issues under the rugs. That's bad parenting, whether that you're a biological parent or you're a father figure in someone's life. Don't just sweep issues under the rug. He doesn't put it in the too hard basket. He doesn't say, oh man, slavery, oh, it's just so common in our society. Uh, you know, I know God isn't cool with it, but I just don't want to deal with that. He doesn't like the idea of stealing stuff. He, all of that, he doesn't put any of it in the too hard basket. He actually kind of tackles the issue head on. He doesn't say, it's his, not my problem. As a father figure, he says, I'm going to make this my problem, which is really, really cool. Um, you could tell that there's two different sides to the story, that Philemon actually has a beef with Anasimus, and he is missing some stuff in the house, right? And maybe Paul's never going to be able to convince him that Anasimus didn't do it. I don't know. Maybe Anasimus did. I, I, the Bible doesn't say, right? But clearly that's an issue, right? That's going to be a problem. He's out of pocket on some stuff. He's got to buy it from somewhere else. Maybe it was... Um, you know, all of, the, all of the knives and forks and they can't, they've got to eat with something, I don't know. But either way, he's out of pocket. He's got an issue in this area, right? And so Paul tackles it head on, right? Let me tell you something, first of all, ignoring issues does not make them go away, okay? Ignoring issues doesn't make them go away. You need to actually tackle issues. Now, we've got to deal with them properly, which is why we're talking about conflict resolution, but ignoring problems does not make it go away. It's kind of like this, right? Um, I remember before I got married, I had a bachelor pad and I had this fridge. And the fridge, I mean, I'm actually now thinking about, I'm not sure where the fridge went. It should have been studied by science because I was breeding stuff in that fridge that, uh, that you know, science has yet to discover. I would put things in the fridge and then just kind of forget about them. And then I'd remember them like a couple of weeks later as they were starting to go off. But then they, because they were going off, they grossed me out. And so I didn't want to deal with them. So I just shut the door again and then just leave them in the fridge. So I'd put like a bowl of, say, tomato soup in there, right? I'd hard have half of it. The other half, it may be in winter. I eat the bread roll with the butter because that's the good stuff. Got to get into that, right? Tomato soup, put it in the fridge because like tomato sauce belongs in the fridge. So I put it in the fridge, right? And, um, and I'd be busy. I'd forget about it for a few days. I'd come back and I'd be like, oh, that's a bit gross. I can't eat that now. Leave it for a couple more days. I'd leave it for like two weeks and I could see that it was super off at this point and it would probably smell a bit funky, although I did manage to like seal it so the smell didn't get out. And I thought, no, nah, I don't want to deal with that today. Oh, not today. I'll deal with it tomorrow. And I just kept putting it off. Then after like four or five weeks, there would be a thick black layer that would form on top of the tomato soup, which basically means there is bacteria breeding on top of other bacteria. It is revolting, right? Do you know what would have been easier? Just throwing the soup out on the first or second day. You know, I understand that it can be difficult to tackle issues, especially when they're awkward, especially when they're intense. But leaving the food in the fridge, leaving the issue swept under a rug or putting it behind something in a conversation doesn't make the conversation easier over time. It often makes it harder. Now, I'm not saying you should rush into every conversation and be quick to jump on everything. I think like Paul, sometimes you need to leave a little bit of time to think through the best approach. But don't be afraid to tackle the issue head on. Don't be afraid to address the topics in the room. You've just got to do it the right way, which is what Paul was doing here. He was doing it the right way. So don't ignore food in the fridge, right? Um, so Paul thinks about it from both perspectives. He actually looks at it from Philemon's perspective, right? He realizes that from his, uh, his perspective, he's probably out quite a bit of money um, from replacing all the stolen goods. He realizes that he's actually lost the investment of a slave. He spent money on a slave and, you know, where he's at in his Christian journey, no one's ever challenged him on like, hey, slavery is a bad thing. So he's not thinking that at this point in time. He's just thinking, I've got to buy another slave. They're very expensive, right? And so aside from that human rights perspective, which again, Paul does dress in the letter, um, he's out of pocket from that. Now, Paul doesn't invalidate any of this. Paul doesn't say to him, well, what you want out of this conversation is stupid. 
You should, you, you know, you're wealthy anyway. Who cares about what was lost? Well, you know what? It's about time someone challenged you on your view on slavery. Who cares if you're out of pocket on that? I think that's a good enough punishment. And so Paul doesn't in- invalidate any of this. He just looks at, is there a way that both parties can win out of this conflict? Is there a way that we can resolve it from both parties? And he realizes that, um, uh, that his feelings are valid. So he validates his feelings. He says right, even towards the very end, hey, I know you're out of pocket potentially. That's not a good thing. We need to resolve that. He validates the issue of like, hey, Anasimus is coming back. And I know that you you really need someone to fill the position that Anasimus was in. So that's actually like, could be a really good thing for you, but I also need him as well. And I understand that's going to cause a bit of tension in and of itself. He validates every single emotional thing. When you're dealing with somebody's uh, issue and you're trying to find a mutually beneficial solution, belting them around the ears or invalidating them and then validating their feelings and invalidating their concerns is a bad idea. Sometimes you just need to validate and say, yeah, that's a good point. Thank you for raising that. Oh, I, I can see why that would, that would bother you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, that would bother me too. Fair enough. Right? Um, and so what he does is he says, okay, how about I cover all of the expenses that you lost? How about if you're out of pocket, don't worry about it. I'll fix it up, right? And um, on top of that, um, I just want you to know it hasn't changed how I feel about you. This situation doesn't have to create any awkwardness. In fact, I'm actually really excited to hang out in your home. I'm really excited to come and, like, as brothers, have a couple, um, you know, whatever they were doing together. You know, they, I was going to say pool sessions, but I don't think pool was invented back then. And going to the Coliseum was probably not the greatest place for a Christian to be at that point in time. But you know what I mean? Sitting on the banana lounge, I'll have a non-alcoholic pina colada with you. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's saying, hey, this doesn't change how I feel about you. You're a great guy. And as a great guy, I wouldn't want you to be out of pocket. So I'll resolve that. And then he even talks about, you know, by elevating Anasimus um, as a brother, that doesn't mean you actually lose him serving. I actually think that there's a way that we could both win out of this, right? He could serve for you and he could do some great stuff for Jesus for me. And I've got to tell you, this is where it gets tough for some people because a lot of us don't want to find a mutually beneficial solution because we feel when we do that, we're wearing some of the blame. Like, you know, oh, hang on a minute. If I, if I try and like meet you in the middle on this, if I try and find a way for you to win, that means that like that implies that I had something to do with this and I didn't have anything to do with it. It's all on you and blah, 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 right? Um, like real talk, I get that, uh, particularly on an emotional level. I get that. That's really tough, right? And I'd even agree with that until I open a Bible. Because in the book of Romans 5.10, this is what it says. When we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. And now that we're at our best, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. In other words, before God asked you to join him in his resurrection life, and he challenged you to expand your world and all of that, he took your sin, your sin, not his sin. He took your sin and bore it on the cross, right? He never sinned a day in his earthly life. He never sinned in heaven. It is not his responsibility to fix your mess and wear your sin when he is perfectly blameless. But you know what? He wanted to live a resurrection life with you. He wanted to be in relationship with you. So he said, you know what? I'm going to make your problem my problem. I'm going to make your issue my issue. I'm going to make your sin something I wear on my shoulders so that we can fix this problem, right? And remember what I said right at the start. Paul had this like, what would Jesus see moment, you know, when he looked at Onesimus. We've got to have the same thing when we understand that when God saw us, he saw past those issues and all the rest of it. And we need to extend the same grace to somebody else, right? So is it fair that you wear some of the problem? Probably not. (laughs) Is it fair that you, 
Maybe to resolve the issue like Paul did, have to pay some money or whatever? Probably not. But you know what? Was it fair that Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Was it fair that he got whipped and beaten for your shame and for your issues? No, (laughs) but Jesus did it anyway. And see, that's what Paul's basically challenging him the whole time. He's like, we've actually got to be like Christ, which means that if we are going to be like Christ, we have to figure out how to get a win-win solution, not a win-loss thing. And that might involve, not always, but sometimes it does have to involve you wearing some of that blame. You saying, okay, well, I'll meet you in the middle on that. I'll pay for that. I'll sort that out. Hey, I'm sorry for the pain I caused you. I'm sorry for the stress of this situation, right? Apply a little bit of grace and peace because that's what Jesus did. Look at yourself in the mirror and realize where would I be if Jesus had the attitude that I'm having in this situation? Ask yourself, what would Jesus do if you were on the other side of the negotiating table, right? Um, You know, the word reconcile or reconciliation appears like 20 times in scripture, right? Um, To reconcile is to bring two parties together. It's actually part of the heartbeat of God. You know, I've talked about it the other week, but one of the things I think that's so sad about politics at the moment, the vax debate at the moment, those other things is it's just separating people, even within the body of Christ. We need to bring people together. That doesn't mean we're always going to agree. Maybe at the end of this, Philemon actually thought that Anasimus was a Muppet and it was only out of his relationship with Paul that they were able to resolve the issue, but they were able to get along and get on the same page. That's what we've got to be able to do. I love the way 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 19 puts it. It says, so we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people. In other words, it's part of our job to do conflict resolution. Hello, bad news for you, Christian. Can't get out of that. It's in scripture, not my words, God's words. But God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation, which means if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to reconcile things, reconcile people, reconcile relationships. To all the dads out there and the father figures, that's part of our job. Paul, when he becomes a father figure, takes on the responsibility of reconciling these two parties, resolving it. And one of the best ways to reconcile people is to look for a win-win solution, right? So tonight, you didn't just read the book of Philemon. You read an account of how two parties who are at opposite ends can figure it out and get together. Now, I don't know where you are in your life's journey Maybe you're you know, distanced from your dad on Father's Day and this applies pretty close to home. Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe your life's peachy right now, like I said, and you can encounter an issue in six or 12 months and you'll be able to apply this. But just remember, don't get so hooked into the people as the problem. Oh, that guy's a muppet and my dad. Just take a deep breath, step back from it, right? And realize that people aren't the problem. God didn't look at you as the problem. He looked at your sin as the problem, right? So people aren't the problem, right? So remove people altogether. Then you've got to identify the actual problem. You've got to say, well, okay, if people aren't the problem, then what is the problem in this situation? In this case, um, it was Philemon's lack of kindness, uh, which completely shifted his worldview to a place that wasn't like Christ, right? That was the actual problem. Maybe the problem is something else. Maybe it's Um, an unforgiveness thing. Maybe it's a lack of generosity. Maybe somebody just hurt and offended you and it was just the carelessness of their words, right? So figure out what the actual problem is. Use the five whys if you're not sure, right? 
then address the problem in a way that finds a mutually beneficial solution, right? How can we both win out of this, right? It's, 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 if you could just do those three steps, I gotta tell you, the way you resolve conflict will change. It doesn't mean that you won't have conflict. Conflict is actually just part of life. They had it in the Bible, they had it over the last 2000 years, and hello, they have it now. If you have no conflict, then let me tell you, you probably are the problem. <laughs> um, everybody has conflict, right? So learn to resolve those three things. Just want to tell you, church, I love you. A massive happy Father's Day. And I pray that you're just going to have the best day ever as you resolve conflict in your world. And as you help other people resolve conflict, you bring a spirit of reconciliation to everything you do. So thanks so much for tuning in, church. Hey, next week's going to be awesome. It's going to be youth takeover service. You're going to see the next generation that's been working hard on Friday night. We've got budding preachers and um, a budding offering, budding communion, budding worship. It's going to be fantastic. So make sure you tune into our service next week. And also our AGM is after the service. And so um, uh, that's not going to be live streamed. I don't think, unless we go into a lockdown. So that's something that you definitely want to be in the building for. So if you haven't been back to church for a little while, might I'd encourage you, hey, come and hang out in the building afterwards. And then um, hopefully by that point, all of the people that are in and lockdown, all the rest of that will have resolved and we'll be able to go back to just doing in-person services and no more live stream for at least a little while. But hey, you never know. It's a crazy world out there. God bless you, church. Hey, just before I go, let me pray for you. Let me pray that God helps you to resolve conflict in your world. And let me, even if you've got a conflict with God right now, let me, let me pray that God helps you figure that out too. Whatever your conflict is, whether it's with God or other people, come on, if that's you, why don't you just stretch your hand to the screen? Dear Jesus, I just pray right now that you help people resolve conflict, whether it's with you, <laughs> other people, people that are here on earth and maybe people even that have passed away that they might still have issues with. God, I pray right now that you do something magnificent, Lord Jesus, in helping them apply those three steps. Lord God, help them to just not see the people as the problem, Lord God, but to identify the actual issue. And then when they do identify, help them to think about it from other people's perspectives and find that mutually beneficial solution, Lord God. Help them to forgive where they need to forgive and move on where they need to move on in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in, church. I love you. I look forward to seeing you next week in our youth takeover service and hopefully in the building for our AGM after the service. God bless your church. Happy Father's Day. Bye-bye. I am Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.